chapter 8, in chapter 23, uh, beginning in verse number 8. Job's praying, and he says, he's trying to find God. He says, Behold, I go forward, but he is not there, and backward, but I cannot perceive him. On the left hand, where he doth work, but I cannot behold him. Otherwise, they're working, but I can't see him. He hideth himself on the right hand, that I cannot see him. But he knoweth the way that I take. He knoweth the way that I take. And when he hath tried me, I shall come forth as gold. My foot hath held his steps. His way have I kept and not declined. Neither have I gone back from the commandment of his lips. I have esteemed the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. The way I take. Lord, in the name of Jesus, we pray, God, for the anointing to be on the word. That you be with us, Lord, today, I pray. Encourage and comfort the hearts of your people. Speak to us through the word of God this morning. I ask it in the name of Jesus. And as you're being seated, give someone, several someones, a friendly free spirit fellowship welcome this morning. There's not a one of us that at some point in our spiritual journey with the Lord, we're going to face a dark valley. We're going to be in a conundrum. We're going to be in a place where we do not know what to do. We don't know how to proceed. We don't know how to go. Job is saying, look, you know, I, I moved forward and he wasn't there. I, I went backwards and he wasn't there. I looked to the left hand and, and uh, he, he was there working, but I couldn't see him. And, to the right, he was there, but he was out of sight. I just don't know what to do. I, I don't know how to put my circumstance and the conditions of my life into any kind of spiritual perspective. I'm between here and there, hither and yon. I'm between the pillar and the post. I, I just don't know what is, what's going to happen, but, but I can't. I can't stay here. I can't stay in this place, but I don't know what to do. We've all been there or will be there at some point in our life. And uh, we, we read Job's story in some 42 chapters of uh, this terrible place where he is, this dark valley where he is in his life. But in all of this, we get the sense from the very beginning that this had more to do with Job. Uh, this was more than just about Job, but it was something between God and Job and Satan. And it was uh, a play, a power play of Satan to take away from Job and to take away uh, from God what Job had committed to the Lord. Paul said, I am persuaded 
that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. That's the same kind of resolute faith, amen, that is found in the heart of a true believer, a true child of God. That, that says, that it speaks, that expresses that idea that God knows. He knows what's going on. He knows the way that I take. <coughs> he knows what's happening in my life. And yes, it is a trial. But when it's over, when he's tried me, I'm going to come out of this thing and I'm going to be pure. I'm going to be golden. Hallelujah with God. He understands what you're dealing with. Into the granite that marks the grave of one of America's greatest astronomers has carved these words. I have lived too long among the stars to fear the night. Think about that. Someone who has spent their life and their career studying the heavens and looking at the stars and gazing out at that vast sea of lights that God has scattered like diamonds across the velvet night. Amen. And to reach out and to probe and to understand that beyond all that, beyond the frame of this earth and my life is a great creator and a mighty God. Hallelujah. It never fails to impress me to look out on the stars at night. The other night it was, was it, was it last night? It was last night, right? It was such a full moon. Such a full moon. And, uh, and the ground is covered with white snow. And the trees are covered with icicles and white snow. And in, in my property behind me in the wetlands, amen, I have a tower that I built that's 14 foot high. Amen. And I just had to, I got up from my prayer time last night at about at 8 o'clock at night, and I said to my wife, I said, I just got to go outside and, and go to my tower just for as long as I can stand the cold and just look. And I looked out over that beautiful, beautiful expanse of white on white and, and just the light shining, the heavens shining. And it was so, it was just drop-dead gorgeous, beautiful. It's freezing cold, God, but it's so beautiful. So the Lord gave us something with, with the misery of the cold. He gave us something to admire about, about it. Amen. And when we study creation and we look at the stars at night, amen, I've, I've, I've lived too long among the stars to be afraid of the night because there's a great God out there somewhere for me. Hallelujah. In Voltaire's history of Charles XII, he related that whenever the Swedes could marshal a force which had a proportion to their numbers of 20 to 100, which works out to one out of five, one over five, if they figured that they could have as many as one-fifth of their, of their enemy in their own hands, that they never despaired of victory. Maybe that's the reason why the Pope hired Swiss guards uh, to, to guard to guard him to this day because uh, they were fearsome warriors and, and brave brave fighters. They figured as long as we're outnumbered five to one we got this. Nothing to it. Amen. Napoleon in his army as he was going to fight the, uh, the English and the Austrians, his soldiers called him the wee 100,000 man. The wee 100,000 man. 
he was a short guy, as you know, pot-bellied. And uh, they would talk to one another during the battle, and they would ask, is we 1,000 men with the army with us today? Is we 1,000 men in the army with us today? Well, the Nazis, they figured he was worth 100,000 of them. That's what they were saying. He's worth 100,000 of us. If he's with us, we're not going to worry about the outcome. Well, history had a different fate for the, for the French and for Napoleon, but it bears in mind the thinking that we have, amen, if we can come to this issue with God on our side. If God be for us, if God be for us, who can stand against us? But on the other hand, if God be against us, who can help us? And so it's up to each one of us to make sure that God is not against us. It's up to each and every one of us to make sure that we're not the Achan in the camp, that we're not the rotten apple in the barrel, that we're not the spoiled pumpkin in the patch. Amen. That, that we're doing everything that we can do, amen, to be righteous with God and to be holy with God. Amen. Because if God's for us, nobody can hurt us. But if God turns on us, nobody can help us. I want to take you to the book of Exodus, the 14th chapter. Uh, we come to the story of the Hebrews and the crossing of the Red Sea. In Hebrews 14, 13 and 14, the Bible said this. Moses said unto the people, Fear ye not, stand still, stand still, and see the salvation of the Lord which he will show you today. For the Egyptians whom you have seen today, you shall see them again no more forever. And the Lord shall fight for you, and you shall hold your peace. Isn't it great to know, amen, that this battle is not ours. Ultimately, this is God's battle with Satan. We're involved with it. And in part, we are the battlefield. Our soul is the eternal reward for the victor. And our soul, our heart, our mind is the battlefield on which these opposing forces fight. Hallelujah. And on the one hand, we believe and have faith in God, the God of the Bible, the God of the Word, the God of all these stories, of all these testimonies of stories and power. Hallelujah. And Sister Janet had a testimony and I'm going to let her say it real quick. Amen. That's a testimony, because a car ain't nothing but a thing, amen, but our health is important, and, and Sister Janet could have stayed home and pouted and been mad at God, 
That's what some people do. I wondered whether she'd make it today because she didn't have a ride. But she found a ride because she came to thank the Lord. Amen. For you know the way I take. And you know what I'm going through right now. And you know the situation I'm in. And, and, and I got to know, God, that you know that I am in this mess and that you're going to bring me through it. I'm going to come out all right. Hallelujah. Amen. Thank God for his goodness. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. That's something that, you know, I've heard said to me recently uh, more than one time by more than one person. And you've heard it. And it's so comforting to, to be able to quote that scripture and to think about that story. Where they were before the Red Sea and the Egyptians pursuing them. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. That sounds so wonderful. And it sounds so comforting. You see, they were in a terrible dilemma. What do we do now? Which way to turn? Which way to go? After all, they had been in Egypt where they had been subjected to genocide and to the inhuman conditions of slavery. And despite the fact that they had been delivered by the miracles of God, ten plagues, and despite the fact that when they left Egypt, they left with a high hand, these were people not used to winning. These were people not used to having a good day. These were people who never had much reason to hope that things would work out for them after all. They were downtrodden in their mindset, in their mind. Uh, they were conditioned uh, for defeat, and it limited their vision. They could not see what God would do for them or could do for them. And this would plague them for the next 40 years of their journey through the wilderness. It would plague that generation that had been raised as slaves in Egypt. They never could seem to understand or to get it or to figure it out that tomorrow is another day and it will be a day the Lord has made and I can walk in it, I can live in it and there's reason to hope or believe. You see, because all along, Amen. They were moving in a direction. They were moving towards something. There was a goal. There was a promise given to them. It was based on a covenant that God had made with Abraham well over 400 years before that. Amen. But they could not grasp. They could not see. They could not get a hold of the vision. And every time there was a problem, they'd say, have you let us out into the wilderness to die? Take us back to Egypt. We were better off as slaves. This is what I'm telling you today. Amen. There's a difference between being in the church and, have, and, and being a true Christian. Hallelujah. Many of us are here by accident. Somebody else brought us here. We were raised in the church. Or our significant other got saved. And so we came in and we got saved. And we never were looking for God. We were never hungry for God. But even, it doesn't matter how you got here. And it doesn't mean that someone who got here by accident doesn't have a real, genuine heart for God, because they do. My wife is a second-generation Pentecostal. I'm a second-generation Pentecostal. My daughters are second-generation Pentecostals. My children are second-generation Pentecostals. And I believe they have a heart for God. Even my son, who, when he was in the service and wasn't walking with God in his heart, 
he had never left the church. He had never left the church. Amen. And it brought him back, amen, to his home and to his place. Amen. Uh, it kept him going through all the things that he had to go through in his life. And it will keep, you know what? Uh, you, you've got to ask yourself, am I a true Christian? Am I really true to this? There have been many times in my life I haven't been true. And many times you haven't been true. But the big thing that we've got to ask ourselves is, am I going to be true to my faith when I'm put to the test, when, I, when I'm faced with this conundrum, when, when I've got the Red Sea in front of me and the mountains on either side of me and the enemy behind me, am I going to stand for, to, to my faith and to my test or am I going to run crying, want to go back to Egypt, go back to Egypt? The devil's fighting you to take you out of the church and take you away from the kingdom of God. He was saying to you that things are better off for you in the world than they are in the church, but they are not. And the Bible says that even our brethren in the world suffer tribulations and have tribulations and troubles. They do. You will not escape. Life is going to bring you trouble. But I'll tell you what, if you're in God's will, if you're in God's kingdom, if you're in God's church, if you're in God's family, and if you're with God's people, you at least know that you have some true people that will stand by you through that time of trouble. That will come to your side, that will aid you, that will care about you, and will pray for you. Amen. We all must suffer the pain, but it's easier when you have somebody standing by your side and being your friend to help you through it all. It's so much easier. But these poor people, they were in trouble. They were in real trouble. Here's the trouble they were in. In verse 5, we read this. It was told the king of Egypt that the people fled, and the heart of Pharaoh and of his servants turned against the people and said, Why have we done this, that we have let Israel go from serving us? And he made ready his chariots, and he took his people with him. He took 600 chosen chariots and all the chariots of Egypt and captains over every one of them. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, and he pursued after the children of Israel. And the children of Israel went out with a high hand. But the Egyptians pursued after them. They just left in victory. Have you ever been to a place where you just won the battle? You just, you've gone through a hard, hard thing. And you just won. And no sooner have you won that here's the enemy come right back coming at you, right behind that victory. He's coming at you with 600 chosen chariots and all the chariots and captains over everyone. A tremendous commando force of trained and powerful enemy that have come and pursued you. They pursued after them all the horses and chariots of Pharaoh and his horsemen and his army and overtook them in camping by the sea beside Pahiroth and Baal Zephon. Here they were. See in front of them. Pahiroth and Baal Zephon on either side. Hallelujah. They were trapped. They were in a cul-de-sac. What am I going to do? So they cried out the Lord. What are we going to do? What are we going to do? Uh, the Hebrews thought they were trapped in their encampment. But were they trapped? Did they get there by their own means? Or by accident? No. God led them there. God put them there. If you read verse 1, The Lord spake to Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, 
that they turned and encamped before Pihahiroth, between Migdal and the sea, over against Baal Zephon. Before it shall you encamp by the sea. The Lord put them there. He put them in the trap. He put them in the situation that they were in. Hallelujah. And Pihahiroth is translated the mouth of the gorges. So here it was. I mean, this is the perfect trap. Amen. There, there, it's, it's a canyon. It, it, it's the opening of the gorges or the canyon. They're all running into this one area. We've just we've got sucked into this cul-de-sac. And we're trapped here. Migdal means the watchtower. So somewhere there was a tall mountain that there was a watchtower on. And, and, and the Hebrews, if they had been on the watchtower, could see the Egyptians coming. And once they left it, the Egyptians climbed the watchtower and they could see the Hebrews down there camped where they were. And Baal Zephon means, translated means, Baal the destroyer. Ooh, that's a difficult, dangerous, and dark place to be. A place that everybody says, this is where Baal, the god Baal the destroyer, the mighty vicious god that will tear you from limb to limb, this is where you're going to meet your fate. This is where you're going to fall in battle. This is where the enemy is going to overtake you. You're in Baal's territory. You're in Baal's providence. You're in the place where Baal is and where he rules and, and where he will tear you limb from limb and where he will destroy you. Hallelujah. And you're there. Amen. And you're there. You don't even know. Amen. But God put me here. God put me here. Hallelujah. They lost sight of the fact that God put them there. And they forgot the God that he delivered them and brought them out of Egypt by his outstretched hand and his powerful arm. They forgot it. They were being conditioned by defeatism, by defeatism and by failure. Church, we cannot go there. We cannot let our mind go there. We cannot be conditioned by defeat or by failure. Hallelujah. If God put us in the enemy's camp, if he put us where Baal the destroyer is, if he brought Pharaoh's army down upon us to destroy us, God has a plan for us. He has a plan. Hallelujah. Pull yourself up out of it. Get yourself up, church, out of the darkness. Out of that dark space, out of that dark cloud, out of that place of despair. Pull yourself up out of it. Tell yourself, God brought me here, and God's got a plan, and God will bring me through. He'll bring me through. Oh, hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Yeah, we, we've heard and we've been told, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. Sounds powerful, sounds wonderful. Moses concurs and said, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. But while he said it, before he said it, he had already been instructed by God to outstretch his rod over the, over the sea. And he outstretched his rod over the sea, and the Lord sent a powerful east wind all night long, and it blew on the sea, and it parted the sea, and it caused dry land and walls of water standing on each side. And so now they're, they've got 
They're in the mouth of the gorges. They're, they're behind the watchtower of the enemy. And they're in the territory of Baal-Zephon. And here's this Pharaoh descending on him with his 600 chosen chariots and all of his captains. And they're coming after them. Amen. And before them is a pathway that is open through the water. Walls of water on each side. Amen. And they don't know what is going to happen. But verse 15 tells us what must happen, church. This is what must happen. And the, and the Bible said this. And the Lord said unto Moses, Wherefore standest, uh, wherefore criest thou unto me? Speak unto the children of Israel that they go forward. Hallelujah. 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 Oh, Job. Job, you had it right. You're stuck in the place. You don't know what to do. You've tried moving forward. You've tried going back. You've looked to the left. You've looked to the right. You don't hear God. You don't see God. You don't perceive God. You don't understand. But you do know one thing. He knows the way I take. He knows what's going to happen. He knows what must happen. He knows what I must do. And he's telling you, Hebrews, he's telling you, Israelites, he's telling you, yeah, don't, don't stand. Don't stand. Amen. If they had stood, they would have been destroyed. Hallelujah. But the salvation of the Lord is ahead of us. Hallelujah. When we're in this place, Baal-Zephon territory, hallelujah, we're not saved yet. If we stay here, if we only stand still and stay here, the enemy will fall on us. We cannot afford to stay as we are, church. We have got to move forward. Why do you cry to me, God says? Why are you crying to me? I've made the way. I've prepared the way. Salvation is there. It's ahead of you. It's before you. But you have to move into it. If you're going to win, you have to move into victory. You've got to move forward. We must move forward. Cannot stay in the place we are. Hallelujah. God's telling the church in 2020, amen, that I am greater than anything else in this world. Amen. And it's up to you. It's up to me. It's up to us to embrace the mindset, amen, that uh, down is not out. And, and having a battle and having a fight doesn't mean we are the loser. Do not be conditioned by your years of slavery and sin and by past defeats and failures to think that the only thing you can hope for is another defeat in battle because that is not the way it is. God has put us in this place so he can destroy the enemy of our souls. Hallelujah. <laughs> Amen. I was praying the other day and I said, God, where's the party? Where's the party? <laughs> where's the party? I want to come out of this thing. I want to. I want to go to a party. I want to celebrate. I don't feel like celebrate, but I need a party right about now. Hallelujah, man! The party is on the other side of the Red Sea. You see, this same people conditioned by failure and defeat, when they crossed the Red Sea and got to the other side, and 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 all those six hundred chosen chariots got coming in after them, and God let the water go and swallow them up and wash them away. Then. Miriam, the sister of Moses, breaks out the tambourine. And the whole chapter following this story is her song that she sang 
and led the people of Israel in singing. Amen. The party is on the other side of the trial. It's on the other side of the victory. There will be a party. There will be a celebration. There will be victory. And if it has to wait till I get to heaven, so what? Amen. I'm going to leap and jump and dance up and down the streets of gold. I'm going to have myself a time. I'm going to have myself a party. Hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. When I come forth, amen, I'm tried, but when I come forth, I'll be gold. I'll be gold. Hallelujah. I'll have a reason to celebrate. Oh, hallelujah. I must close, but before I do, I want to take you to the gospel of John chapter 14. In this gospel, we find Jesus. He's getting ready, amen, to face the crucifixion and to, and to uh, purchase redemption for, for us. And he's speaking to his disciples about what is about to happen. What is about to happen. Now they're, now they're clueless. I mean, they've, they've, they've attached themselves to him because they believe that in this life, he's going to bring back the throne of David and the kingdom of Israel will be restored. They're believing and hoping that he is the Messiah that will rule and reign in their own lifetime. And that perhaps they can rule and reign with him. Jesus said in this chapter, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. But I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And whither I go, you know. And the way, you know. The way. They didn't know what he was talking about. Thomas says to him, Lord, we know not whither thou goest. How can we know the way? How can we know the way? Hallelujah. You're not just trying to get through your life using Jesus to help you over the bumps in the road. If you are, you're not being true to him. Hallelujah. He's just not here to make your little life better on this earth. He's gone ahead of you to prepare mansions. That's where the party is going to be. That's where the family is going to gather together. Amen. For all of eternity. That's where it's all going to pay back what we did, how we live for God. That's where the payback is going to come. Is there. It's there. And he's getting ready to walk this road. He is getting ready to come down off the Mount of Olives on Palm Sunday morning and ride the donkey into Jerusalem to the cries of Hosanna, blessed is he who's come in the name of the Lord. But in seven days, he's getting ready, amen, to hear the same people say, crucify him. Give us Barabbas. Crucify Jesus. Let his blood be upon us and our children. He's getting ready, amen, to pray, amen, the desperate prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane where he prays, Father, not my will but thine be done. He's getting ready to be betrayed by one of his own. Uh, a member of his own church. He's go they're going to betray him and sell him out to the enemy. And he's going to be put on trial. And he's not going to be allowed to make a defense because the will of God is for him to surrender to the evil that the world is going to pour out on him and to do it with a pure heart and with purity of spirit so that he can be the ultimate sacrifice and justification for every one of us who has poured evil out in our life on this planet so that we can come to him and confess our sins and be redeemed and turned and changed. 
Hallelujah. He's getting ready to bear the cross. We don't know. We don't know whither thou goest. We don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? Because they did not know the way. Only one of them followed him to Calvary. Just the little one, John the Beloved. Only one. The rest forsook him and abandoned him. His greatest defended and greatest mouthpiece and outspoken person denied him three times before the cock crowed twice in the night, in the morning, and denied. And they fled, and he fled. They fled. They left. They fled. They didn't know. They did not know the way he was going. It looked like defeat and death and destruction in the end of their hope, in their dream, in their aspirations. And all the knowledge and all the information they had accumulated in three and a half years of traveling with him, it looked like it was all for nothing, all for loss. What about the miracles? What about the raising of the dead? What about the parables? What about the Sermon on the Mount? What about all the things that you spoke about the kingdom of God? What about the baptisms of John? What about any of it? It's all gone. We don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? How can we know the way? And then, on that Easter Sunday morning, when the disciples, the men, stayed home, cowering in fear behind locked doors, the women slipped out in the early morning hours to go and to prepare the body. It was all over, but the wrapping the final rites and the resting place. It was all over. Even in their mind. It's over. It's done. He's dead. We need to put him away properly with respect. They go to the tomb each Easter Sunday morning. When they get to the tomb, they're asking themselves, who's going to roll the stone away? We, we, we're not strong enough. How are we going to get the stone rolled away so we can go in and prepare his body? But when they get there, they find the stone has already been rolled away. Stone has been rolled away. And two men in white stand there. Amen from the Lord. Amen. You women of Galilee, you women of Judea, uh, what, what, why, you, why seek you the living among the dead? Why seek you the living among the dead? Hallelujah. He said, I'm going to prepare a mansion for you in my Father's house. Listen, amen. Everybody wants to go to heaven, but nobody wants to die to get there. Hallelujah. <laughs> but in heaven, we're going to look at each other and say, why seek you among the living? Why seek you the living among the dead? There's no dead here. We're all alive. Hallelujah. We're alive. Amen. So even then, even then, the disciples run to the tomb. They run to the tomb. They look. They see the tomb is empty. They still don't understand. Little by little, slowly but surely, over the next 40 days, as Jesus appears over and over and over again to more than 500 people, and he appears to them, and they see him. He comes, and he goes. He disappears in a puff and vanishes into thin air and appears out of thin air, but he's real. He's physical. And they see him, and they touch him, and they understand. They realize, wow, I didn't know what we were getting into when we followed him. I didn't know about this, this thing about miracles and walking on water and, and, and raising the dead and all that. I didn't know how powerful it was going to be. And they didn't really even understand until the day of Pentecost. Amen. And when the Holy Ghost hit them, something transformed in their life and in their mind. Jesus said, 
uh, after that you receive the Holy Spirit. He will bring all things unto your remembrance and teach you all things that you need to know. Hallelujah. Amen. So it was the Holy Ghost, amen, that showed them and shows us the way that we must go. Let's stand together and get ready to close. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. Somewhere in the midst of all of this darkness, we cannot lose sight of the one who walks before us. The pathway to Calvary, the Via Della Rosa, the lonely man with the cross on his back is just ahead of us there. He's walking just ahead of us there. It looks like he's going to death and defeat, but it is victory he is about to embrace because the song that will emerge at the end of the day is, O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? Hallelujah. Amen. He's taken it away from the enemy and he's giving us eternal life. Hallelujah. In the end of it all, I must stay focused. I've got to stay focused. Hallelujah. David said in the Psalms, the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. If he fall, he will not utterly be cast down. For the hand of the Lord will uphold him. Hallelujah. Oh, isn't it great? Hallelujah. Oh, don't look at the mouth of the gorges of the watchtower or Baal the destroyer or the Pharaoh behind you with all of his chariots and with all of his enemy. Don't look at the impossibilities that seem to be in the pathway before us. Amen. Because if we're the people of God, if we're following the man with the cross, if we're following Jesus, hallelujah, amen, he hadn't put us anywhere that he cannot bring us out of. Amen. And he has not brought us to any situation he cannot deliver us from. And he is there. Hallelujah. He's able to do it. He's better than the we 100,000. Hallelujah. He's the man that said 100. Could, one could put 1,000 to flight. And uh, uh, two could put 10,000 to flight. He's that God. He's that powerful. There's a poem that says, and I'll leave you with this thought. He does not lead me year by year, nor even day by day. But step by step, my path unfolds. The Lord directs my way. Tomorrow's plans I do not know. I only know this minute. But he will say, this is the way. By faith, now walk in it. And I am glad that it is so. Today's enough to bear. And when tomorrow comes, his grace shall far exceed its care. What need to worry then or fret? The God who gave his son holds all my moments in his hand and gives them one by one. Hallelujah. Beautiful. Beautiful. What a confidence. Job. Job. Oh, you're in the midst of your darkness. You're in the midst of your despair. I hear your despairing cry. God, I don't know where to find you. I've looked for you everywhere. I tried to go forward. You weren't there. I, I retraced my steps and I couldn't find you. I, I, I turned to the right hand and, and, and I, I knew you were there working, but I never could see it. And, and to the left, I looked, but I didn't perceive. I could not see what you were doing. I don't understand what you're doing, but I do know one thing, God. Hallelujah. You know the way that I go. You know the way that I go. And when I come forward, 
And when I'm tried, I shall come forth like your own. Oh, let's give God a hand praise today. This altar is open. You want to come and pray? Amen. Come and pray. Come and dedicate your life to the Lord. Or rededicate your life to the Lord. But I want to tell you this one thing. No matter how dark the night, Jesus is the light. No matter how dark the night, Jesus is the light of our way. He's the light of our way. Hallelujah. Oh, let's praise him right now. Thank you, Jesus. I thank you. Praise you, mighty God, for your redemptive power, Lord God, for your great power, for your great anointing. God, you know the way that I take. To the place where your peace and your love Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Hello. Oh.